0: Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here.
1: Hello, my name is Greg Braden. And I wanna welcome you to this very special edition of Missing Links. Today, I am very blessed to have with me a dear friend, a colleague I've known for more years than either one of us can count. I've had the privilege of touring the world and speaking with this man on every continent of the earth about the new science that is overturning 150 years of scientific thinking when it comes to you and me and the way we think about our bodies, our relationship to the world, the past to the future, to one another. We were recently invited as a team to speak at the United Nations in New York as the 2030 developmental goals, the new sustainable development goals were being developed. And I wanna share with you a little bit about what happened during that meeting and what it meant to us, what we had the opportunity to share with the United Nations. So Bruce Lipton. Thank you so much for being with us on Missing Links and welcome to the show tonight.
2: Well, thank you, Greg. I certainly appreciate being here with you and this wonderful audience. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're very, very welcome. I know we're both busy. We're speaking at a conference here in Northern New Mexico uh, with people from 19 nations are with us this weekend. Our own United Nations. Our own, you know, our own little United Nations. And we've had the opportunity to break away and, um, and have this conversation. And I think this is a very, it's an important conversation. It's a little bit behind the scenes. Of what really happened for you and I, we were blessed to be invited uh, to speak to some very specific groups as the Sustainable Development Goals were, were being developed. And you know, you and I never really talked afterward about what that was all about for you, how you felt about it, uh, why you think it was important. And I thought it might be interesting to do that now. So I'd like to, to just ask you when we had the opportunity to speak at the UN, How did you feel about sharing
2: the new discoveries? And do you feel that it was a receptive audience that we had? Well, first of all, I enjoyed very much the opportunity to give them some new information because they're really operating from outdated science. And how can you plan the future if if your whole background is really not living up to the current understanding of the world? So this gave us an opportunity to give them some new information. I felt they were really very receptive, also very confused about, well, this is very different than their normal operating procedure. But for us, it was really uh, important because uh, the new science reveals that we're, we're moving through an evolutionary paradigm at this time, and uh, it's necessary for an organization such as the United Nations to be fully informed of this, because how can we uh, successfully move into the future on problems uh, that we have been carrying from the past?
1: Yeah, you know, I was really, I was really encouraged, first by the invitation And um, I'll just be very honest with our our listeners here. The United Nations, when we talk about the UN, it is not like there's one specific UN. There are UNs within UNs. It's like a big company in in some respects. And there were some really excited, forward-thinking young people who were very interested in embracing the new ideas and applying them to what we see happening in the world and where it's moving. And there were some other people there that uh, were, I'm just gonna use the word a little reluctant because The new discoveries that you and I are talking about, Bruce, they present such a different way of thinking. It's so different in a single lifetime, the revolution in the way we're being invited to think. You know, we've asked science to tell us who we are. And for 150 years, since the time of Charles Darwin, science has been revealing the deepest truths of our existence. And the question is, now are scientists willing to embrace the truths the science is revealing and apply those truths
2: in the, the world as we're moving forward with organizations like the UN. Well, it's very difficult for them because if you've had your whole career and this is the way you understood life and you did research this way and you did work this way and then someone walks in the door and goes, well, you know, that's not exactly the way it is. <laughs> uh, it, it sort of pulls the rug out from them and they feel very insecure. I mean, it was exactly like this when quantum physics was introduced to the world because the only physicists were Newtonian physicists and then imagine you had your whole career university professor research guy and you walk in one day and uh, somebody says uh, especially young guys because that's who they were uh, says well your idea about the universe is, is you know really incorrect and it's like what (laughs) so basically uh there's a lot of resistance because if this is what you've done your whole life it's not easy for some people to say oh okay let's drop what i've done and let's go on a whole new tact
1: yeah there was some resistance you know
2: what i found really encouraging well
1: i felt like it was a little microcosm of the world speaking to to the people because there are so many different and very unique views uh and i think you know about what, what i'm going to share with you while we were speaking we'd already started the meetings the door opened in the back of the room and a few people filed in and stood uh, along the back wall. They never sat down and then they left. And you and I looked at each other and we thought, you know, what what was that? We didn't know until after the meeting that the Secretary General of the UN had sent uh, a team to check us out. They wanted to see what we were saying and uh, where the relevance may have fallen. And we also found what we heard afterward uh, was that they turned on the uh, CCTV, the closed circuit TVs, in the UN complex for people that wanted to hear our presentation who were not in the room with us. And I found that really encouraging. I was excited. Uh, I was encouraged to, to know that that had happened. And I think that's an indication there's an openness for new ideas that in my lifetime, uh, you know, I went to school in 1950s, 60s, early 70s. And I remember there was a time when the science was taught, it was so buttoned up. It was so perfect. It's like, this is the way it is. And there was no question and now the new discoveries are actually opening the door to deeper questions uh, than, than answering de- definitively many of the questions of the past. And that tells us that we're on, we're on the precipice, we're on the verge of a very, very different way of thinking, a new paradigm, and we're being forced to do it because of where we are in the world right now. The world is pushing us to the very edge of who we believe we are, and the old solutions based on
2: the old ideas aren't working, and that's creating the opening for the the new ideas. let's face a simple fact here that uh, right now, civilization is facing the sixth mass extinction of life on this planet. Now, five times in history, life was thriving, and some event essentially wiped out 79% of life. Today, uh, we're in those numbers right now, uh, and what's more important about it is science has recognized that it's human behavior Mm. that is responsible for the extinction that will actually do us in. And the significance about that is very simple. It says, if you want to survive, then you cannot keep doing what we've been doing. So the old stories are actually the problem. And, you know, Einstein's quote, you can't solve the problems with the same thinking that created the problems. And unfortunately, you and I uh, have been at the leading edge of, of a new science and a new understanding of the world. And, and it's been really great to, to lecture with you and, and to go out because mm-hmm. instead of lecturing to our former colleagues, It's really taking the message and talking to the public, because the public is the one that really needs this information. Knowledge is power. Uh, Lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And the knowledge that they've been operating from uh, on the basic science that we always thought that was truth turns out to be flawed. So much flawed that that's why we're creating our own extinction, because our belief systems are flawed. And, And now we have the opportunity to go out and talk to the public and offer them a A More empowering understanding of life than the conventional belief that we're just victims of circumstances So you and I are
1: both scientists and I think this is why we received the invitation in the way that we did Uh, You're a life scientist uh, biologist. I'm an earth scientist a geologist by degree and From our unique perspectives, although they're very different sciences It's hard to draw a line between from one to the other because they're so interrelated both of them are involved with cycles cycles of time, cycles of experience. And when you're talking to me about the cycle, the, the extinction cycle that you're talking yes. about right now.
2: Yeah, uh, and it's really important that you brought up the fact that while earth science and life sciences are coming together here, uh, The idea of a separation, which was some sense based on a Newtonian physics that there's a material existence and an energy existence and they don't relate to each other. Uh, Well, that's gone by the wayside because quantum mechanics revealed there's only one thing, it's energy and everything is interconnected. And when it comes to Earth and humans, this is really profoundly important because our evolution did not happen by accident. Our evolution was adaptation. So as earth changes were occurring, biological organisms were responding to the earth by adjusting the genetics of the organism to sustain life. So you can never separate earth science from from biology because uh, that's one of the primary sources of information that controls our own biology. What you're saying about the
1: past is true in the present moment. It's happening to us right now. We are living this rare convergence, and I've talked about in this series, this convergence of natural rhythms and natural cycles, uh, any one of which in and of themselves would be enough to change the way we think and live. But the fact that at least three of these cycles are converging, the climate cycle, economic cycles, and cycles of human conflict, they're all converging right now. They're creating the conditions that you're talking about that drive evolution. So the changes that are being forced upon us in the world our world is changing, we can't stop that. We've got to either think and live differently or resist that change and that's where the struggle comes from.
2: Well, I, I think resisting is futile in this particular case because the earth is a lot bigger than we are on this. and. Uh, and while we have certainly uh, put our hand in the system and messed it up a bit, uh, the Earth is trying to get us to come back. It's giving us these lessons. It says, if you don't learn to live in harmony, then you won't be here either because extinction I- is going to affect all of us. And we're not talking a thousand years from now. We're yeah. talking within a century. And, and so it really is important for people to wake up and say, what have we done and why have we done it? And is there a better way to do it? And, and this is why I enjoy uh, our collaboration because we offer Answers to those very vital questions.
1: When you're presenting, you have such an awesome way of being very present with the audience. Whether there are five thousand people in the room or there's two hundred people in the room, everybody feels like you are there just for them.
2: Like well, you're, you're I talking am, Greg. Him. You know, I know why? Because I was a teacher, uh, a professor in a medical school, teaching the old science and living the old science, and. Uh, my lessons came not from textbooks or anything. They came directly from cells. I, I was cloning stem cells 52 years ago now. Uh, but the relevance about that is by studying the cells, I, I really learned another way of life. They, they taught me. And the relevance about that is when I applied it, my life completely changed. So I let go of the concept that we're victims of our genetics, let's say, or victims of world changes and all that, that we are actually creators. And this is really the principle that Mm. quantum physics leaves us with. It recognizes that mind is really the source of all of this creation. And if we don't like the creation, then rather than going out and changing the creation, we really have to go back inside and change the mind. Uh, And and this is all, all empowering because it means that an individual doesn't have to go out and fight the world. They just have to learn how to change their consciousness to accommodate a better, healthier life.
1: So you're touching on some things. Uh, when I'm sitting in that audience listening to you, you do such a beautiful job of, of illustrating some of the concepts. You're covering a lot of ground, we both are right now. But I want to ask you a couple of specifics, just, okay. just so our, our viewers have, have a sense of precisely what you're talking about. So I'm going yeah. to take about a half a step back. Okay. When you talked about the, the impact that humans are having upon the Earth right now. You give a statistic for the amount of life that has disappeared in our lifetimes, and it is a mind-blowing statistic. I watch people in the audience when they hear this number. N- nobody's talking about this. They can't believe it. I wonder if you'd like to share that. Well, with our, I, th- with I would
2: because I think we all have to wake up to this fact. Yeah. Uh, in 1970, the World Wildlife Foundation took a survey of how many animals are on planet Earth. Uh, they just completed a second one of those two years ago. And at that point, 62% of the total animal population in 1970 has disappeared. So there's about one third of the animals left just since 1970. Uh, And and the reality about that is that not only the animals on the earth be infected, uh, science has also recognized that there will be no fish in the ocean in 2048. Now that's not a million years from now. Uh, My own kids will be living on a planet where there's no fish because overfishing, uh destroying breeding grounds and especially polluting the water is killing killing the ocean which when the ocean is dead for sure we're on the slab next
1: well that's where the food chain begins so i just want to clarify when you say one-third of the life that includes the ocean life as well one-third of the we've life. lost
2: more than that we've lost 90 percent of the ocean life since 1950 in in our lifetimes in our lifetime that it's just insane. blows
1: me away i mean that's a yeah. mind-boggling statistic that's I mean, unsustainable when you were
2: young you maybe even saw on tv they always have you know, uh, big fishing expeditions. They go out there and they catch these big hammerhead sharks and these big uh, uh, swordfish ones and all mm-hmm. these strange things. It's like, you can't catch them now. We can't even find them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard <laughs> to find them.
0: Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why
1: in the media today, they still seem to hold back on these incredible stories? Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together.
0: Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com.
1: So the next thing that I wanted to clarify is when you were talking about the work that you were doing, and I really want our viewers to to understand this, Uh, Bruce Lipton was in the laboratory performing experiments uh, over 50 years ago that were discounted in his day and now are the foundation for the new science that we call epigenetics. Epigenetics, where the environment of a cell determines how that cell expresses itself. And you were, you were the, I've seen the publications, peer reviewed scientific journals. So can you talk to me a little bit about what did you learn from the cells? You alluded to this, what did the okay. cells teach you in the petri dish and how
2: do we apply that to what we're doing in our, our world today well the first thing let's start off with what was I teaching students in school at that time and i was teaching them a concept called genetic determinism which is a concept that says your genes can determine the character and quality of your life so everybody's bought into that a matter of fact they're still teaching the same idea in elementary levels and high school levels but in, when you go up in college that that sort of disappears because at a higher understanding Uh, Genetic determinism is not valid. Genes do not control us. Uh, The whole belief that genes turn on and off uh, is a false understanding. Genes are blueprints, just like a blueprint in an architect's office. You go in an architect's office and ask her, uh, uh, Is your blueprint on or off? And she'd look at you like you're crazy. And I go, Well, people talk about the genes turning on and off. And I go, That's completely false. So this is really hard because almost everyone you go out in the street goes, Oh, yeah, a gene turned on and gave me cancer, a gene did this. And I say, well, what's the consequence of that thought? And very simply, is this: as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with. If we don't like the characteristics we have, you can't change the genes anyway. And the belief that genes turn on and off takes you out of the equation. Uh, and that leaves us as victims, victims of our heredity. Oh, my God, there's cancer running in my family or something like that. Uh, and we believe the genes are going to do this. So that's what I'm teaching. And in the laboratory, I was cloning stem cells, which are the equivalent of embryonic cells.
1: This is in the ni- 1960s. So you, were, you were cloning stem cells in 67.
2: Yeah, I think there were probably not more than you know, 20 or 30 people in the world that knew what a stem cell was in 1967. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. A stem cell is an embryonic cell. And I put one stem cell in a dish, and then it divides every 10 hours. So first there's one, then two, four, eight, doubling, doubling. At the end of the week, 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. But the most important fact is they all came from one parent. So that meant I have thirty thousand genetically identical cells, okay. um, and we grow cells in a laboratory in something called culture medium. And culture medium is a laboratory version of blood. So if I grow human cells, I say, "What are human blood made out of?" And then I take those ingredients, synthesize them in a the lab, and feed cells culture medium. But since I create the culture medium, I can change some of the composition a little tiny bit. So I created three slightly different versions of culture medium, slight different chemistry. Okay. But the culture medium is the environment for the cells. I fed these dishes, and they all had genetically identical cells in them because I split up the 30,000 into three dishes. But each one had a slightly different environment because I had a slightly different culture medium. In one dish, the cells form muscle. In the other dish, they form bone. In the third dish, the cells form fat cells. Well, the profound important question is, well, what controls the fate of the cells? And we've always said genes control the fate of the cells. And I go, yeah. but. All of these cells were genetically identical. So all of a sudden, it's like they didn't have different genes in them. They had different environments. Right. And the environment was uh, interacting with the cell and selecting gene activity in the cell. And all of a sudden, it says, my goodness. And the belief that the genes inside of us are you know, controlling us from inside says, no, it's our environment uh, and our perceptions. Because the blood in our body is the original culture medium and our body when we look in the you know mirror and see one living entity i go well, that's uh, an illusion because a body is made out of 50 trillion cells so a body, by definition, is a community of cells because they're the living element. The body is the represented by the community. We're the Petri dish. We, we are a skin-covered Petri dish, and we have original culture medium called blood. I say it doesn't make a difference if the cell's in a plastic dish or in a skin-covered dish. The fate of the cell is not controlled by its genes. It's controlled by the information in the environment. Well, in my skin-covered Petri dish, of course, uh, the original culture medium, blood. And then the question comes, well, if the chemistry of the blood is controlling the fate of the cells, what controls the chemistry of the blood? Well, you take it up one notch, the brain is the chemist, okay? And I go, okay, so what chemicals should the brain put into the blood? And all of a sudden we go up one more notch and recognize whatever picture we have in our mind, it is translated by the brain into complementary chemistry. Okay, so this is important. Now I'm gonna bring this back to where it began. Yeah. Where we began,
1: we're living a convergence of these cycles. The world yeah. is changing. And your experiments in the laboratory, were showing you that the environment is what determines how we respond to the change. What we now know is that our perceptions of the change are what's driving the shift that we see at the genetic level, at, at the, the level of the Exactly. Genes. So here we are at the UN, we're sharing these new discoveries, we're talking about converging cycles, and they're asking for input because they're developing the Sustainable Development Goals through the year 2030. So what can we learn? What is the lesson that we can learn from the cells at the the deepest level of life? What is the wisdom that they preserve and show us every day if we have the wisdom to recognize it, that we can apply to this time in our lives and that we're the convergence of these cycles so we can thrive in a healthy way move through these changes
2: yeah well the most important understanding is that over evolution it's all been driven by what's going on in the environment and we came from a very healthy environment so the whole web of life grew up in something we called the garden so to speak okay and the reality is we've lost our understanding of why we were here we have this belief that we got here by accidents of genetic mutation the darwinian theory oh a gene changed and they went off in a different direction the belief that these gene changes uh, occur uh, is really emphasized as being a random mutation. That's an accidental mutation. So I say, well, what's the function of a human? He said, well, we got here through what? A whole series of accidents, accidental mutations. So I say, then what is the purpose of us being on the planet? And if you look at it from that point of view, it says, well, we have no purpose. It's only an accident that we're here in the first place. But if you go back and understand that every organism is adjusting itself to the environment, and trying to keep balance with all the other organisms. Every time nature added an organism, she added it because the previous system was getting out of balance and you bring a new one in and it returns it back to balance. But inevitably that will throw it out of balance as well. Then another new one comes in and we are near the top of this addition. We are so powerful in influencing the environment uh, that without knowledge, that was our job. Look what we've done. We're destroying the environment. So the wake up call is this. We cannot live without nature because we came from nature. If we destroy nature as we're doing, then we are actually cutting our own lifeline to the planet at this point. So the issue is, what can we learn? the answer is, we must learn to return the environment as best we can, or at least learn how to live in harmony with this environment. And I understand, very importantly, as you talk about, uh, the idea that uh, climate change is occurring. Yes, uh, that's a a natural process in itself. Uh, Of course, we're exacerbating it because our, our own activities are... Or making it worse yeah. uh, but a, a most important thing that you say and really should come out again and that is this the idea that we'll sit around one day and the environment will return and everybody will be happy get back in the garden again this is not really a, a, a likely possibility the idea that we should learn to move with the change and not sit in the space and hope that the climate decides to come back and visit us over here we must prepare for a future that's different and therefore uh, sitting around and waiting for change or thinking if, well, if we just stop burning some fossil fuel, whole life will return. It's like, no, we start now to plan how will we live in an environment that is complex and changing all the time. That means we now have to really use our heads to say, how can we uh, compensate for this? Mm-hmm. And if we don't go in that direction and we just sit here in the chair and say, uh, hey, Greg, look out the window and tell me has it, has it returned back to normal yet? Uh, We're doomed in that particular case. That's the thing. So many people, (laughs) this
1: is such a different way of thinking, and I've emphasized that throughout this series. It's a very different way of thinking, and and it it can be frightening for people who don't know all the parameters. Many people are waiting for the world to get back to normal, and we cannot go back to a, a world that no longer exists so if we're clinging to those old ideas it's it's difficult to embrace the new discoveries that are coming and i think the value of what you're doing through your work hopefully what i'm doing with mine and what we do as we share this together is that we're sharing rock solid science new discoveries that give us reasons to think differently at a time when the changing world requires us to think differently so so we have the information we need and your studies of the cells are showing that when we can allow ourselves to adapt to to that environment, rather than than resisting the change, uh, we are the cells in this new emerging
2: humanity. Well, that that, that to me is really important because we have a theory of evolution from a Darwinian perspective, which um, unfortunately is not accurate enough and has caused a lot of problems because the premise of it is that life is a struggle, and that there's competition, and there's going to be winners, and there's going to be losers. And I say, well, what kind of uh, result comes from a theory like that? I say, well, first, competition leads to violence, and violence leads to war. And all of this fighting over this in the process would destroy the environment that's giving us life. And the reality is this theory is not correct, that there is actually two phases of evolution. First, make the smarter individual the smartest one. That's somewhat of a Darwinian theory, But once you get the smartest individual, you can't make an individual any smarter as physical parameters. But it turns out nature has repeated a cycle. Once it always made the smartest individual in species, the next level of of evolution is to bring individuals together to share their awareness in a community. So the phase of evolution that we're experiencing right now is, okay. we got all the smart humans but now we have to do, bring the humans together collectively into a new organism, a super organism called humanity. Well, we have 50 trillion cells making up a body we call a human. Humanity is an organism that will have uh, you know, approximately eight billion human cells as part of this one living structure. When our cells in our body don't live in harmony, that's called autoimmune disease. It's self-destruction by definition. Yeah. If you look at the world right now and you start to realize the human cells are not living in harmony with each other, that the planet is experiencing autoimmune disease, self-destruction. So the evolution is what? Breaking down the barriers that separate us because ultimately it's only when we come together and recognize the unity that all humans are cells in the same body, it'll be a time where we stop competing with each other and start cooperating with each other. And cooperation is uh, the new science. That's the key. This is why what we shared at the UN, I
1: think of all the things that we shared, uh, and just to bring this to a close, I, I think the the idea that nature is based upon a model of cooperation, not competition, of all places at the United Nations, where they are helping people of very different beliefs and very different cultures work together to solve problems, to begin doing it from the perspective of, of this model based upon the harmony in nature, I think is, is a powerful step forward. And uh, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing to bring oh. that
2: forward and- well, I, I think, you know, collectively I enjoy what we do because we offer the world an opportunity to let go of the old beliefs of limitation and separation and allow them to come together and be more empowered to control their own biology as well as the, the nature of the community of life that we're in right now. Uh, and just in closing, I mean, uh, uh, what I have in my book, Spontaneous Evolution, is a a humorous little thing is that uh, a garden is not a battleground <laughs> <laughs> I love and the simple reality is what happened to our garden I say the, the battle is destroying the garden and peace is what is required to bring it back again
1: Bruce Lipton I want to thank you for the work you do and thank you for taking a few minutes to talk with us tonight share this wisdom we're gonna have another conversation on a little bit different topic uh, in this series and I look forward to that as well so I thank do, you, do thank, thank you, very you so very much for this well.
2: opportunity brother Greg thank you
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series, all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform.